This is the Chicago Podcast Network. Thank you, everybody, for downloading this episode of Out Front on the Chicago Podcast Network. On today's episode, uh, AJ and I are going to get into the passing of the emergency budget by the state of Illinois, what that means going forward, uh, how we got here and the players involved, and we will also be talking about the long-term effects of the budget impasse. I hope you enjoyed today's show. We consider it one of our more important ones, especially here in the state of Illinois. Uh, If you like our show, you can find us on Facebook and like us there, Chicago Podcast Network. You can like us and follow us on Twitter, Chi-Town Podcast 1, and you can email us, chicagopodcastnetwork at gmail.com. All of those avenues of communication are available to you. And here we go. Hey, everybody. Thank you for downloading this episode of Out Front with AJ and Nick. I am Nick Sarantos, Editor-in-Chief and host here on the Chicago Podcast. Now, we're joined over the interwebs and Skype by my good buddy, AJ Signary. AJ, say hello to the wonderful people. Hey, people. That's him doing his thing. Uh, Today on our show, we're going to talk about the big Illinois story. Now, on our show, we've been, well, we did the Independence Day show, but we've also been focusing a lot on national politics for a while. But we are the Chicago Podcast Network. We're an uh, Illinois-based organization, and we just got through, not even through, we punted, as I think the best phrase to use, uh, the Illinois budget issue uh, that has come to a head between Madigan and Rauner. And I think that it's time for AJ and I to really get into this. Also, uh, there's some stuff that you should probably know, and we're going to talk about it. And So let's get started, AJ. When Bruce Rauner was elected about a, uh, two years ago, he came in on a campaign of a very Republican, very conservative view of labor unions and wanting to break up collective bargaining, wanting to cut social services to get the deficit under control, and putting in the state version of the Bush tax cuts, at which point Illinois representatives and Democratic Speaker of the House, Michael Madigan, shut down shut down any budget negotiations that included any of those massive changes, essentially stopping Rauner's ability to do what he wanted uh, which I agreed with, but that led to a almost year-long battle over a state budget that has had massive impacts on schools and social services, and it came to a head two days ago, and they had a series of closed-door meetings, which is why yesterday in the afternoon, Illinois passed an emergency stopgap budget. This You're going to see a lot of stories that say the Illinois passed a budget. Um, this is not over. This is merely, let's put it in a sports analogy, AJ. This is us pushing it to overtime, I guess, if you want to put it that way. What did you say, overtime? Overtime, the 12th inning, uh, however you want to look at Vince McMahon coming out and restarting the match because we don't end our matches in a countout in a title match at WrestleMania. Yeah, I mean, if you want to put it in hockey terms, I mean, it's a shootout between Republicans and Democrats, really. Yeah, we already played overtime, and now we've gone to the shootout. Right. So, with everything that was going on, and a lot of us, you know, there have been a lot of people talking back and forth about where we were going, you know, and I've said on the show before that one of the biggest things, like, this budget thing has a personal impact for a lot of people. My family... Uh, has essentially been separated as a result of this budget issue. Now, that sounds 
worse maybe than it actually is. But my sister now lives in Atlanta, Georgia, because she could not count on the state to keep the budgets going that would fund the social services that she was working for here. And she left. And it's unfortunate because I love my sister and I wish that she was around, but she felt she didn't have a choice. And she is just one very small example of a statewide issue. And I'm curious, AJ, has the budget had any impact on you personally? Um, not so much. I mean, other than, um, certain services that I usually rely on, um, whether it comes like to welfare or things like that. But I mean, other, other than that, it's not, it has impacted me like, um, other things that my friends have relied on assistance for. Now, the stopgap budget, as we understand it, uh, essentially allows for funding for schools in the state which allows them to open in the fall because as of right now, there was the possibility of that not happening. Um, and it keeps the construction projects that are currently underway funded because another big concern was that we were going to hit winter with these roads having no work done on them starting. Essentially, had they not gotten this budget passed, anywhere that you've driven on your way to work or uh, on the weekends where you've hit construction would have halted right where it was until a budget was passed. So this was the stuff that they were attempting to avoid. And realistically, the Democrats played the long game and just kept waiting round and out and got sort of what they wanted. I mean, this that's the thing, AJ. is like we used the term, you know, when we started, they punted. They literally just kicked the ball down the field and like, all right, well, we're, we're buying ourselves another six months. What scares me is at the end of six months, if you're the Democrats, the hell with it. Why wouldn't you just force another punt and then force Rounder out of office in another year? But it's not as simple as that. Um, a lot of people think it's easy to either vote him out of office, which is 2018, by the way, or, you know, go through the motions and do a recall process like we did with Lagojevich. Uh, so it's not that easy because you have a person, Rounder, that some like I would say some Republicans don't like him because he is who he is, but they don't have any other choice. So they have to go to him in order to keep the brand Republican Party going and everything. And so when you have people like Sandrak, Sandrak, um, and others who get behind Rounders turnaround agenda it's it's really scary and you're talking about a party that is trying to grow in the next couple of years so that way they can have control of the senate and the house and re-elect rounder in order to have a republican controlled general assembly and governor's office which is scary in itself and then you have these democrats who I mean, Mike Manigan is the problem, quite honestly, and so is Senator President Cullerton in in large part. And because of what they've done for the last, what, 30, 40 years, well, at least on Madigan's side, um, is the very um, thing that why we are going through these stalemates on the budget and everything, because you're having someone who hasn't really progressed the state and has really fed his own ego and his own po- um, pocketbooks or his pockets rather. And you have a governor who's, you know, 
Trump in a lot of ways and everything. So it's, 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 not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not as easy as some people may, may think is to vote him out of office because they say, oh, we'll vote him out in 2018. Okay, but who are you going to have for Democrats? You're going to draft Obama to be the next governor? Are you going to bring Rom <laughs> Constitutional, from down? Constitutionally, you can't have it be Obama. You can't. He, constitutionally, he cannot be the governor of Illinois because technically it's part of the line of succession. Where does that say that in the Constitution in Illinois? No, it's in the Constitution of the United States. For president, not for governor. No, 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 no. A governor, a governor can eventually, like theoretically, if all of Congress was blown up simultaneously and you lost all of the cabinet members, governors can eventually be promoted to president. Like that, 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 that theoretically can happen. I'm just saying, like, it's not likely, obviously. Right. But it is constitution. He can become mayor of the city of Chicago because there's no constitutional uh, legal issue with that. But he can't become governor because theoretically a governor can be promoted to president in the absolute, oh, God, everyone's dead scenario. I'm not well, saying I mean, it's likely, but I'm just saying legally he right, cannot be governor. one interpretation of the Constitution, though. No, no, no. The line well, interpreted differently, but the point is, the Democrats have no, yeah, no one on their team. They really don't, and the Republicans really don't either, because Rauner is essentially the outsider, and that's why he is where he's at right now. Well, you you follow state politics a lot more closely than I do, so I, I want to ask you about Michael Madigan because this is a guy that I've heard about most of my life, um, and. I've actually voted for Michael Madigan because he's a Democrat. And I've heard as this crisis has gone on that he's as responsible as Bruce Rauner is for the budget issues. Um, do you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I've always felt like Mike Madigan was always the gatekeeper when it comes to the various legislation that has that needed to happen in Illinois. It's because of Mike Madigan that every time Greg Harris put forward a bill for marriage equality, Mike Manigan never allowed it to happen. Okay. Why, what, do you know why that is? Because it was an issue that Mike Manigan did not want to bring to the floor of the General Assembly. Mike Manigan felt that having marriage equality is not the issue that we should be focusing on and everything. Um, we have to understand, Mike Manigan is an attorney and he's an attorney for corporate Illinois and everything. Um, if you look at how he has grown as a professional in business, um, you know, this is what he's has done and you can see it through his firm that he still has. Um, his own daughter is now, you know, attorney general, even though some would say Lisa, is different from her dad, but she's still a Madigan, nonetheless, and everything. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Madigan has kind of, like, really, is really the person that will decide which bills goes into the rules committee, which is just sits there and sits there and sits there, or what actually gets to go through and everything. And Greg Harris, as I said, you know, he has put a merge equality bill year after year after year after year, and always got shot down. But when enough people were making hay out of it, that's when Mike Mangan goes, okay, let's do it. So Because the Democrats needed a win in Illinois. They needed a win. And the win was marriage equality. You know, It wasn't a win when 
Iowa first got doing it and everything, and you would think if Iowa had it, Illinois would be the next natural state to pass it, and it didn't. You know, we're talking about Mike Madigan for over time, his major campaign contributors have been the AFL-CIO, ASME, the Illinois Educators Association, Illinois Federation of Teachers, Chicago Teachers Union, and SEIU. And every single one of them has always backed Madigan because he's the speaker. He's a speaker of the House. So he has a position of power in the General Assembly. And so every of those lobbies that I just mentioned feeds the beast, and the beast gets to dictate what happens in the General Assembly. So he's, because as much as I'm, you're basically telling me and our listeners that Mike Madigan is the definition of an Illinois politician. Well, very much so. Like if you were to go back and go throughout history of just the, you know, come forth and kiss my ring, therefore I'll bestow upon you all the gifts of government kind of politician. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. look at, if you look at Mike Madigan, like I said before, outside of politics, you know, him and his partner that specializes in corporate real estate property taxes. This is the same guy who has worked to get clients like the John Hancock Center and the Prudential Plaza. Um, this is the same person who has worked with um, Joseph Berrios of, you know, the commissioner of the Cook County Board. Of review, and he's the head of the Cook County Democrats as well. Um, those two have worked side by side to get the very um, things done in Chicago, as well as you know use tax law in order for Mike Madigan to fund his friends, um, family members, as well as um, his own success. If you as, as you've followed this process, and both of us have been, um, where do you see, I, I don't want to say where do you see, what, what do you put the blame on? Is it special interests that you think are doing this? Is it the stubbornness of the governor? Is it the corruption on the side of the Democrats? Or is it just this amazing stew of all of those ingredients together that got us to this point? What we're seeing is, is an actual perfect storm of a greedy big unions that want money. And unions like SEIU and ASME for decades always wanted to line themselves with money and have the kind of political leverage in order for them to do what they need to do and everything. You have a House and Senate that has been ran by Democrats, especially the governor's office with Quinn and Lagoyevich, that really has ran Illinois as a business and not really what it needs to be, this incubator of ideas. And then let's see how these ideas play out, you know, among the land of Lincoln. And you have a, gov a current, the current governor who has money. I mean, he doesn't really need um, the governor's allowance <laughs> that he gets at everything. Right. Um, he doesn't need any of that. He could turn to any of his personal advisors and those in the private sector and create these public-private partnerships in Illinois in order to get things going without the backing of the General Assembly. 
I mean, that's the kind of guy we're dealing with here. And so between those three things um, are the very reasons why Illinois is faltering. You know, as much as I want to get behind unions, as much as I want to say that people need to form a union and everything, I really cannot advocate for the unions that we have here in Illinois because they've been greedy. And they have never shown me whatsoever that they are really for it for workers and not really for it for a, a better Illinois. <clears throat> and I want to stop for a second there because this is a, this is a big issue. Um, you are much more liberal than even I am, and I consider myself about as far left as you can go, which means you at some point jumped off the lefty cliff, um, as they would say, into the pure, unadulterated, horrible world of socialism. You're a socialist, AJ, and it's terrible, yeah. and you're going to destroy America. Uh, yes, I know. And I know that that's your goal, by the way. I know that you're part yes. of the conspiracy to destroy America. Did you know when, you, when anyone runs for office at the state level, or even president, there's a loyalty oath, which is optional, by the way, that candidates can sign? And on there, they still have the, the language that you are not a communist and you're not going to overthrow the government. Goddamn right. Goddamn right. What are you, some sort of pinko? <laughs> it's still in there. I'm I mean, just saying. That line listen, is still I, in listen, there. Listen, are you now or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party, sir? No, not the Communist Party. Because <laughs> they're crazy. I just love using that phrase because it just invokes <laughs> just the idiotic, the idiotic nature of McCarthyism. The, <laughs> But you're talking about unions. You're talking about the, the greediness of these unions now. And you and I both have had many conversations about the, what, how important unions are for workers. But you're saying that the unions that are working with the Illinois Democrats, that their greed is more for, as much like with a corporation, they're looking more for their top agents to be paid more than they are to make sure that workers are getting paid the right amount of money, which I said, that's fair. It's, to me... Here's my issue. When I look at this and I, and I see a governor who wants to shut down crucial social services, I mean, and that's a big, that was a big part of his deal. We're going to trim the fat off of the budget and I, and, and because we're going to run it like a business. This is a phrase that is being used in national politics, in state politics, in local town politics. Government needs to be run like a business. Let me tell you something. It does not. Government is not a business. A business's job is to make a profit. It is not the job of the government to make a profit. Would you agree? Right. So all of these conversations that you constantly have of we're going to run it like a business, we elect Bruce Rauner as governor because he's going to run it like a business. And what does he do? He comes down there and goes, well, this is what we're going to do, and I'm the CEO of the state. Well, this isn't a company. You don't get to walk in as the top guy and just decree on down that this week we're going to be focusing on making kazoos because kazoos are selling like crazy in Poughkeepsie. You know, it's it's... You don't get to do that as a governor. You're dealing with very complicated issues. And on top of that, we've got the Democratic side, which has been in power for so long in the state of Illinois that they take things for granted in a lot of ways, which is one reason why Rauner got elected, by the way, because Democrats just took it for granted that they were going to continue to win, and, and they didn't. And now we're stuck with a guy who is so insistent on cutting spending that he shut down the government essentially for a year. For a year we've been doing this. Right. And I just, I cannot in my mind fathom how 
the, the other day, and it's it's been going on for a while, there's this great piece that's been written. And if you're Illinois, if you're Wisconsin, if you're, uh, what's the other one that they were talking about, Indiana, the state to look to economically and population-wise and everything is the state of Minnesota, where the governor came in, raised taxes on the rich, cut a lot of corporate tax, loophole, tax loopholes, and now the state is operating at a $1.2 billion uh Surplus. I almost forgot the word. I'm so not used to saying it. And I'm just saying, like, for a second, I forgot. So foreign. Well, yes, yeah, surplus. I haven't had to say it since I was in high school, and I didn't understand what it was in 1998. But you look at these states where they take a more liberal agenda, and it seems to be working. Whereas in states where they've elected Republican houses, Republican senates, Republican governors, the economy continues to tank. The best example is, of course, the state of Wisconsin, where you've got Scott Walker who came in and I'm going to bust these unions. And I understand that there is the, the greedy union aspect of it, but these are also the same people who are doing what is, in my opinion, the most reprehensible thing in government, which is the cutting of pensions to people. And that's the one that I actually am most offended by. And I don't know about you. How do you feel about the conversation about cutting pensions? Um, pension payments. They, they, they talk about cutting pension payments to people who have already retired. That's what I'm talking about. Right. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's not like I don't know. It's just a matter of we've, we've had such a pension problem in Illinois that I have no idea where I really f- fall on the issue because – we had a pension system, and it's in our constitution that you know a pension is a promise essentially. And because of the budget shortfalls we've had, not just under Democratic governors but even certain Republican governors, that they've actually taken money out from the pension in order to put it elsewhere just so we can stay afloat. Right. Right. So instead of doing the responsible thing, which is going to the General Assembly, finding ways to either cut certain expenditures or merge or whatever it needs to happen in order to have a more fiscally sound budget, we've actually kind of played um, the shell game of moving money around just so we can stay afloat. Which is like the wrong thing to do, you well, know? Yeah, there's well, there's also when you're talking about this pension thing for people who don't understand that the, the best example, um, and it's the one I'm most familiar with, is the Chicago police pensions, which are one of the biggest and 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 city employee pensions. And if you go back and look at it, starting in I don't have the numbers in front of me, people, so stick with me. But basically, if you go back to the ni- early 1980s, they froze the multiplier. Now, yeah. the, the, the multiplier, AJ, do you, are you more familiar with this than I am? Would you like to explain it or should no, I? No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. So basically, there was a formula that was created at the, I, I want to say in the 1930s, that essentially put money away for people's pensions. And what it did was it, it, it took what the minimum amount of the pension was going to be, and then they times it by, in most instances, something like 3.5, 3.4. And what they would do is they would take their money, times that and then they would bank that amount of money like the amount plus whatever the multiplier or times whatever the multiplier was and they would bank it the problem is starting in the 1980s to get certain deals done daily and the governors agreed 
to freeze the multiplayer at 3.5 as opposed to increasing it at the necessary level to continue the, fun- the, the pension fund to be solvent. And because that number, and it still hasn't changed, by the way, since the 1980s, they have not been collecting enough money throughout that time. And then combine that with the stuff that you're talking about, where they're pulling money out, not putting it back, and then suddenly everybody stands around, AJ, with their hands in the air going, oh, we don't have money to pay pensions. And it's like, well, let me get this straight. You and your predecessors fucked everything up. You didn't do what you were supposed to properly do because you were playing short-term politics instead of looking at long-term solvency issues. And... As a result of that, you are now telling people that you have made a contractual and a political agreement to to say that we are going to pay you this amount of money. And I'm sorry, if I worked 20 years for the Chicago police, if I worked 20 years for the CTA, and you told me that entire time that the reason I'm getting paid, let's be honest, a decent uh, low-wage salary, like what would you call it? It's not middle class. You know, it's not poverty. It's right on the. It's it's lower middle class salary basically, but the the advantage is that once you retire, you're going to be able to, you know, live off of the money that you put into this pension. And now you're telling me that I can't have it because you fucked up. That's bullshit. And that's where I start to get really upset when I'm looking at this idea of cutting current pension payments because I understand that the money may not be there, but guess what? That's not the person's fault who drove a bus for 20 years. That's the city's fault. So you're asking people to pick up the tab for your mistakes, and that's where I start to get pissed because if the situation was reversed and you owed the government a bunch of money, guess what? They're not going to suddenly go, oh, yeah, no, that's fine. We get it. You don't have the money. Don't worry about it. It's cool. Uh, We'll work something out. Like that's that's it doesn't work that way, and it it just it annoys. That's the the stuff with the budget that really started to piss me off. Now, even the, the more so than the social services aspect, because you can work with the current system. You can change stuff if you want to. I'm not saying that you should have, but the option is there because the people that are going through it are still going through it. But if you've got a guy who's been retired for 10 years, that was the deal that was made. And the fact that you weren't able to see that medical technology was going to allow people to live a lot longer, that's not their fault. Right. But then there's there's the other problem, which you have all that, which is a huge concern. But then the unions can come back and say, well, we have to raise our rates so that we can put more money into our pension. Right. Which, that's the problem you have at McCormick Place in Chicago. That's the problem you have with O'Hare. That's the problem you have with other unions in the city. They have to raise their rates so that way they can put more money away into their pension. You and I, we are in our 30s. As you look ahead the next 10 years of our lives, do you think that Illinois will get out of this crisis or do you think that we're looking more at something a lot worse happening? I don't think a lot, something a lot worse is going to happen. It's only going to be worse if we continue to have Rauner and even like a Rauner-esque Democrat <clears throat> as governor um, within, the next, within the 10 years. Um, I, I'm, I'm a little bit optimistic because I think people in Illinois here's the thing I, I like about Rauner and it's probably the only thing I like about Rauner he has really um, <laughs> put the budget out in the sunlight and let everybody see the budget you know Yeah. and with his turnaround budget 
and you know him being stubborn and you know stalling. You know what? Let, let, let's let's stop saying stubborn because it's unfair to the man. Even though I disagree with him politically, when we use the word stubborn, it seems like he's being. I mean, he came in with an agenda, and he is sticking to his agenda. There is something to be respected about that. You might we might disagree with what his agenda is, but at least he's sticking to it, and he's not. I get you have to give somebody credit for standing up for what they claim to believe, whether or not you agree with them or not. I just I just want to say that because we keep saying stubborn, and it, I don't know if that's the. I can't think of another word. What else? What else are you gonna say? Bullheaded. Yeah, uh, I, there's um, no way to say it that's not negative. Is is it, you know? But I, but you understand what I'm trying to say with that? I, I understand what you're saying, but but that's more my point is you have this person who's standing on the very principles that he believes in, and. When everything doesn't go his way or certain Republican legislators their, their way, they put a halt to a lot of things. And we started seeing, you know, human services were being cut. And we actually got to see how much human services we have in the state of Illinois, how much education is really a factor in the state of Illinois, how much everything else has been a factor in Illinois. And people are now seeing this for the first time. Not you to know, mention you're, you're everybody has been so comfortable in Chicago, in the Collar counties, in Springfield, and everywhere else that everybody's been so complacent within the respective area in Illinois that now they're seeing for the first time how much this is a huge factor. I, I have a friend of mine. You've met him a few times. We've talked about him on the show before, my buddy Dave. And he, he and I had a conversation a couple years ago, and it always stuck with me. And I, and I looked at him, and we were talking about politics. We were talking about the future, which is one of my favorite topics as the Star Trek fan that I am. And I asked him, I said, look, man, do you think that in our lifetimes, as, as we live right now, as bad as things are getting, do you think that we'll see bread lines in our life? like they did in the Great Depression. And Dave kind of looked at me shocked that I hadn't made this connection. And he was right to be, because this is the truth. We have bread lines. But because the electronic world that we live in, and it could be handed to a credit card mm -hmm. and taken to a store, we don't perceive it on the same level that we would have in the 1930s and 40s. That we don't see it the same way because it's not visual. It's not out there in the world. It's not... Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, you don't see the bread lines because the person in front of you has a WIC card, and that's all they need. So they can go to the store just like you and purchase food just like you, although not just like you because there are limits on what they can buy, which is a whole other right. thing. But the simple idea of, of that happening really scares the crap out of me if you look forward to the state of Illinois because, as you say, like the budget issue – and Rounder's ability to, to put it out there in the public and to see how much social services we actually need to use in the state it did shine a light on just how many people use the government to get by. And this is where we get into it, and I want to touch on it just a little bit. The How close are you with... Do you have a lot of people that you associate with on a daily basis who are over the age of 50, AJ? Like, yeah. Okay. I work at my dad's office when I'm not doing this, and there are a lot of guys in that building. They're all over 50, and they're all wonderful people. Even the ones who I don't like are nice people. Like, what I don't like about them has to do with mainly politics. And the thing that drives me the most crazy, though, is, is my dad is in on this, too. There seems to be this perception that we need to cut welfare because... Welfare is now a lifestyle that people are, who are on welfare want to stay on welfare. They deliberately don't work. 
And we have people who game the system and, and go out of their way to make sure that they don't get paid enough so that they can still qualify for welfare. Like there's a, one of the, my dad's clients told me a story that they were working with somebody and that person refused a raise every month or every year because they knew that if they got the raise, they would no longer qualify for welfare. And the guy was like, and that's them gaming the system. And I looked at him and I said, no, really think about what you're saying here, man. This person knows that the raise that they've earned at their job will actually hurt them in the long run as opposed to help them. Because if they take your raise, they will actually lose money in the month and they've got kids to feed. So they can't, the responsible decision, whether you like it or not, is to take less money because you can't afford to pay them more because there's not enough money at the, at the, coming in. So I don't think in that scenario that the person on welfare is wrong. I don't think the person who owns the business is wrong. I think that the system that allows people to be paid so little for work and at a level that is not kept up with inflation is to blame. I also, we've been talking about this budget issue for a while when the truth, and everyone goes, well, what's the solution? We all know what the solution is, AJ, but nobody ever really wants to get into it because the minute you say it, people look at you like you're crazy. But do you know what the solution is? Do you know what I'm going to say? What's that? Higher taxes. Mm -hmm. That's the solution. We have cut taxes so much across every state and in every way in America in the last 40 years that it's been a gradual cut. Every single time, it's a gradual cut. And if you keep cutting, let's look at it this way. You've got a fruit roll-up, and you keep cutting off an inch of it every time. Well, by the end of it, you've only got an inch of a fruit roll-up left. Well, there's no longer a fruit roll-up. That's a Laffy Taffy. It's... It's, it's just you keep cutting all this stuff and you keep cutting taxes to the point where what, what, what was the rate when we were really young? I think it was something like 75% of, I think when I was born actually, my dad said that it was 90%, that if you made over a million dollars a year, your tax rate was 90% or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and then it's been, it's been cut down and cut down and cut down. And then look, as a person who makes money now, like 90%, yeah, that seems like a lot if you're making a lot of money. But at the same time, the system then worked. We weren't constantly struggling to make money. And if you keep cutting the revenue stream at every single level, except, by the way, the poorest people, who are, the, by the way, the main drivers of economic fortune, the more money that the poorest people in your economy have, the stronger your economy. Am I wrong about that? I'm pretty sure that I'm right. Not, no, you're right. So, but there's, so there's this thing called velocity of money. You know, you know, you, you know about that? No, I do not. I've never heard so that the, phrase. So, so in economic terms, velocity of money means that the, the, what's the quickest transfer of money once you pay for something. So in other words, if you go to a store and you pay something and everything, uh, the let, let, store has to, Let's do it allegorically. Let's say I went to Jewel. Yes. So you go to Jewel, right? So you pay Jewel, and Jewel that goes into Jewel's revenue streams. Well, then Jewel has to pay vendors and everything, and those vendors have to pay other vendors and everything, and it's about how how your money got transferred very quickly from point A to point B and everything. Thus, that's how GDP is determined most of the time and everything. And this is where I get on my little spiel. Would you like a soapbox? Would you like me to get one for you? Well, no, this can be very brief, oh, and, that's, okay. and that's this. So you're right, it's about Soapbox people and, and paying and everything, but it's also about buying at like at the local level at, at local businesses and everything, okay? 
when you have someone who could afford money or even if they have limited money through um, welfare or whatever or food stamps, but they keep going to Walmart, that velocity of money is going to be a very slow transfer rate than it would at a local business. So let me see if I can... So what you're saying is like if you go to... Mom. What I'm saying is like a small town like my town, which is 15,000 people, and you have Super Walmart where 24-7, 365, that parking lot is full of 200 cars day in and day out, and it's open 20, like I said, open 24-7, and people continually go there, even though they're at lower prices, that money is not going to stay in Illinois. That money is staying in Bensonville or Bentonville, Arkansas. Some of it may stay in Illinois. Your tat, your money is going to stay in Illinois, but that's going to be a very small amount of the percentage. All that money is going down to Arkansas, and then that money is also going to China, also going to India and elsewhere. All right, right stop for a second. Stop for a second. Because this, be this, this is a major issue. This is a big thing. Because one of the things we always talk about when it comes to sta- stabilizing budgets and stabilizing economy is, you know, the argument has always been that a higher minimum wage or a higher worker wage is bad for business. Um, and maybe at a national level for giant conglomerates it is. But go back to what you just said. If you spend money at Walmart, that money ends up in Bentonville, Arkansas. The way that it wouldn't is if Walmart paid its workers a lot more money, right? that money would then be recycled back into the economy. If those workers were paid more, if they were, for an example, allowed to unionize, those money or that money would now stay in your town because the money that went into that Walmart is going to get, as you talked about, the velocity of money from A to B to C. Well, each store has its own bank account, right? So if that money that you've spent into the store goes into their account, they have to pay their employees out of that account. Well, if their employees all live locally, which they have to because they're human beings, that money then would stay within the local economy. But because they pay their workers so little, they are able to pocket a majority of the money you spend. And a good example is i go to walmart and i buy it can't be a dvd because that's different with royalties but let's say i buy i don't know give me something i buy at walmart a, a lightsaber before the star wars show that we did i go in there and i bought i bought 200 worth of star wars crap of the 200 of star wars stuff that i bought for that night what do you say probably a, a hundred of it went right into walmart's pockets not including the merchandising fees that go to star wars and maybe 25 percent of that like of what so that's fifty dollars of the 200 stayed in the store and in the local economy the rest of it disappeared into the ether to into the bank accounts of two huge corporations one the disney corporation the evil corporation that is hell-bent on making us all nice and the other is walmart the evil corporation that is hell-bent on building a walmart on every block of every store thing and if you don't know what i'm talking about watch the south park episode the, uh, something walmart this way comes well there's also the thing with walmart also so you're you know, not going like to stop and know that i know the episode name of that south park like off the top of my head <laughs> like i know the exact title <laughs> i'm just saying like that's one of those moments aj where you go you've got to stop and just go jesus dude stop watching tv Keep watching TV, but just, you know, regulate the consumption of South Park is all. Uh, no. South Park's the best <laughs> thing on television besides The Flash. Um, so, like, going back to, like, Walmart, you know, Super Walmart, so you now can buy groceries at Walmart, right? Yeah. I mean, you can. You can, and some people do, right? Because it's cheaper than elsewhere. So, you have that same person. Would you buy a steak from Walmart? No. Okay. Why not? 
a Soylent Green. <laughs> is that really? Because that's my thing. Like, I, I, I really don't know. I mean, I, I don't. I really don't know. But I just don't trust uh, a retail business like Walmart to tell me that their steak is a better choice than oh, I don't know the meat market in Fulton, Illinois that I drive thirty minutes to just to get a decent. Well, even you know, even if you look at like uh, we we mentioned it before, and it's it's my favorite store in the area. You go to Jewel, and Jewel has a butcher in every store, you know, and they cut the meat themselves, and they and they serve it to you, and it's it's it just seems like a more healthy product than because you know that Walmart is buying all their steaks from one farm, right, and it's going national, and I just that's, sorry, that's I just thing. it's like Walmart buys from select places if you look at this it, 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 it's fascinating to me like we say that the solution is higher taxes higher worker wages in both of those instances historic evidence shows that it's accurate do you think AJ? Because this is where we get into it. I, I've, I've had a couple arguments over the week on the interwebs, which is always stupid to do in the comment sections of people's Facebook and in the comment sections of YouTube and stuff like that. Which is the I don't know, Lord of the Flies of human society as it currently exists. I guess I need a conch shell or something. But the more I'm looking at it, the more I have conversations with people. Have you noticed that, like, we talk about higher taxes, higher worker wages. Have you noticed that there's been an uptick in the people that you know believing in this left-wing conspiracy to destroy America? Have you seen more of this coming out lately? Oh, yeah, um, because they really feel that Obama's presidency has been nothing but a socialist agenda. and You're a socialist. Wouldn't you disagree with that fundamentally? They're not. It's not socialist. There's nothing socialist. I've had a libertarian on the the radio show at the old radio station on my show telling me that you know Obama is a socialist, a libertarian from the Illinois Libertarian Party, and point by point, I wanted him to show me what was socialist, and he goes, "Well, about funding more subsidies for free breakfast store lunch and everything," and I go. So you don't want to feed kids, right? <laughs> like, so what so you rather do is privatize it, and so that kid who can't or his family can't afford the breakfast to begin with, you want them to pay. Oh, I don't know. Let's say it's even five dollars, a five dollars for breakfast, and then that money goes where? I want to. I mean, we have to. We have to stop throwing certain terms around. Socialism, communism, anarchism, libertarian uh, around because a lot of people fully don't understand what those terms really mean, nor they really want to understand what they are because that's one of my biggest beefs I had with the Bernie supporters because they were calling themselves democratic socialists. They didn't know what that meant. They did it. It's like, so you're really for worker workers controlling the workplace. And they had like this deer in the headlight look at me. And I go, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, that's what socialism means. Or one of the tenets is you want the workers to control the means of production. And, and they go, well, don't we have that already? And I go, no. High V 
and others that say employee-owned does not mean they control high V. They just have stock in the business. They have no real say. But even stock, even stock in the business, to me, is, is better than what we've heard of in other areas because I, I've always believed that if you give people an incentive to work harder, they will work harder. If you give people a reason to invest with a company, they will invest like, by invest, I mean um, emotionally, spirit. Like if they if they feel that they are part of a team, they will help. But if your business is constantly looking for ways to pay them less, to have to give them less, then why should they go out above and beyond for your company? Why would anybody do anything if if you feel that way? And it's we we get. There. I had a I go was, ahead. I was at Whole Foods in Evanston one day and. I asked someone at the checkout, I was like, do you really like working at Whole Foods? He goes, oh, yeah, this is like the most, like, liberal business I have ever seen, and I'm, I'm glad I'm a part of this. I'm like, so you know your CEO is a libertarian, right? He's like, what are you talking about? I go, well, you're selling the book over in aisle five <laughs> that says Conscious Capitalism by your CEO, which he really says that he believes in a free enterprise, and a free enterprise is going to boldly go where no man has gone before. Sorry, you let right. you pause. Right, it's going to lift poverty. And so, what you're doing is having this business in Evanston. Actually, there's two now in Evanston, three in Evanston. Now I'm thinking about it. there's actually three Whole Foods in Evanston, um, and other play and in other places that the more money that goes into Whole Foods then that money goes back into like community efforts. Now, even though that is good on sounds good on paper and there's a conscious stream there, which is fine, but why did they use a libertarian idea in order to get to your agenda and everything? And my point is all this. When you have food and when you have accessibility like Whole Foods has but why – like they open a Whole Foods in Inglewood in the south side of Chicago, you know? Right. And the biggest thing is like accessibility. The, it's, it's, you're adding something to the void that, of the food desert in Inglewood neighborhood of Chicago. But what family you know in Inglewood is going to pay $2 a pound on peaches? Or six uh, or six dollars for a thing of Cheerios when they could get ch- actual Cheerios for two fifty. You know, and it, I no, know it, some it, families that they love their meat, and I'm, I I can tell you they're not going to go there. They're still going to go to Harold's hey. for the barbecue and everything. Not pay ten dollars a pound for whatever their meat of choice is. You know, so it's it's all about you know. What we're talking about earlier is we have people in Illinois. The residents of Illinois are not getting paid what they're getting paid. They're not getting the services that they really need and everything. And it's because of the state of Illinois between the current governor, a Democratic legislature, and unions and other reinforcing factors that has really oppressed people up and down the state there are, i mean there's people being oppressed in parts of chicago 
parts of the collar counties, um, even like nice glitzy towns like Galena are being hindered, you know? Yeah. We, we, we started the show talking about the budget. We got a few minutes left here and I want to make it abundantly clear to anybody who's listened to this far into the show. Um, we've been kind of dry today. I hope you've at least gotten better informed and AJ, I want to thank you, man. You're really up on this stuff a lot more than I am, but it's important that you understand that this issue is not over. There, there is a tendency now in American media that once a solution of any kind is reached, that the problem is solved. The problem is not solved. There is still no real budget in the state of Illinois. This is a six-month budget. This is an emergency budget that buys us time. That is all that it does. And I want people to understand that, AJ. I want people to get that it's very important. And you hear this. My dad likes to ask me this. He says, what can you do? And I look at him and I say, you know what you can do? You can write your congressman. You can write your state representative. If it really matters to you, do it. And he goes, ah. And he kind of waves his hand like I'm not going to do it. But what's the rule, AJ? Is it, I think in the state of Illinois, it's 1,000. If 1,000 people write a, a congressman, a, a state rep on an issue, they have to respond, like, officially. Isn't that the deal? Something around there, yeah. Right. So... If you've been following this story, or if you weren't aware of it and are just learning about it on our podcast, find out who your state rep is. I'm not saying you've got to know that off the top of your head. I don't know it off the top of mine. I live in Bensonville. I don't live back in, in my hometown, which is also a weird thing. But find out who your rep is and write them. Call them. Let them know that you want this situation fixed. If you have an idea, screw it. Share it with them. There are, in this instance, no bad ideas. But the status quo... And, and, and before I get out of here, AJ, this, is, this has become my new mantra for this election. The, the right, on the right side, this is why I'm a lefty, as of right now anyway. It seems to me that the right is so hell-bent on protecting the status quo. They want things to stay exactly as they are. Always. That seems to be the argument all the time. We want things to stay how they are. We don't care about moving forward. We don't play the long game. We are simply looking at what can we do immediately. And there is a validation to that. There is some truth in acting in that way. However, if you keep punting, basically, and moving the ball further and further away from the goal line, eventually you look up at the field and you're on the one-yard line looking 99 yards away. And it's just constant. Are we doing enough football metaphors, you think? If, But... This constant fight of the left trying to go, look, you need to look 20 years, 30 years, 40 years down the road, and the right going, well, no, the situation needs to be fixed right now. And it's this instant gratification versus long-term delay. It's all of these things together have mixed, as you put it, it's a perfect storm of just bullshit on both sides that has gotten us to this point where... And this is the thing I want people to understand. We, we all talk about these high-minded issues. We talk about budgets. We talk about politics. We talk about Mexicans crossing the border. We talk about illegal immigrants in the state of Illinois. We talk about whether or not we should allow Syrian refugees to come stay in Chicago. All of this crap. But every time that every day that a budget wasn't passed, the state of Illinois was killing people, starving them, inadequate health care, inadequate mental health care, 
you know, suicide hotlines were shutting down because they weren't getting their budgets. You know, my sister's social services company, where she's working with at-risk kids, that's a kid who maybe that that organization would have stopped joining a gang or becoming or getting into drugs or flunking out of school and, and not really contributing in any way. All of those things are now being stopped. And every day that a budget wasn't passed, people were dying and nobody seemed to give a shit on, the, on that side. And that's the stuff that's really starting to bug me, is that the right seems so hell-bent on maintaining the status quo that they, they are just willing to let poor people die. Do you think that I'm wrong about that? Or is, 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 That's the way it feels to me. That, that like Why do you vote Democrat? Because at least, as, as bought and paid for as they are, their hearts seem to be in the right place. And I don't know if that's true on the right. I don't believe in conspiracies, but I do believe that you help your friends. And it seems to me that the people on the right, a Bruce Rounder, for instance, who wants to keep worker wages down, is insane to me. Because history, which is this amazing thing that stretches back, you know, all the way to before the birth of Christ, and even before that, what, like what? Back, let's, let's just do the 5,000-year thing for the religious right. It stretches back all of that time. Liberal agendas are historically right. They just are. Every single time that prejudice or greed or, or power-hungry people have attempted to use those things, they have failed. And what has won out in the long term is what we in America would consider left-wing liberal agendas from the ending of slavery, which was, which was the Republican Party when they were the Liberal Party, which you know includes the stopping of sexism in the workplace, which, if you want to even go back further in time, the, the, the stopping of slavery in Europe, the uh, power of the monarchies throughout Western civilization. Liberal agendas have historically always been proven accurate, and yet there is a fundamental thing that seems to be happening where the people on the right ignore all of that and just go, yeah, no, gays shouldn't get married. Yeah, no, we don't accept people from Syria. And these are the same people that 100 years ago would have said Irish need not apply. It, it, it's just it's so frustrating to look at, and I, they have... When you met me three years ago, would you describe, like, I, I would have considered myself, when you met me three years ago, one of the most hopeful people when it comes to politics. Would you agree? Yeah, I would say that, yeah. I'm not anymore. It took three years. It took three years of following this because my life took a lot of weird twists and turns job-wise. I'm not saying, well, it's like. only because you've been on my side for three years. That, that's, that's true. <laughs> but it's also because I got, I, I had separated myself. When I went through school for radio. Um, high school, college, the the technical school, all of those. I was in it every day. But when you're training to do it, it's different than I stopped for three, four years. I stopped doing radio for three or four years. That's when I was doing IT work. And when I came back to it, and it was different because I had my own show. I had a guy before me, and you, by the way, who I will always give you credit for this. You elevated my game for what it's worth. I don't know if I've ever told Have I ever told you that? No. Yeah, you elevated my game because... I would come in just to do my typical, like, you stopped me from doing a couple things. One, I always wanted to do sports radio. After working with you at the old radio station we were at together, that kind of died because sports felt empty to me. It didn't really feel important anymore. Uh, the movie shit that I do, I still love movies and TV, but it doesn't matter. Politics matter. Working with people matter. Working with the community matters. And those three things are things that I got from working with you and the other people at Multiculti that there's a... There's a responsibility that comes 
with doing all of this. And the reason that I'm saying that you elevated my game is, but also the reason I'm less hopeful is, I went from sort of reading the news to get ready for a show. You know, I always describe it as reading all the news. I read all the news every day. I get up, and the first thing I do is I read 17 different websites to see what the big stories are. And if you do that every day for three years, let me tell you something, people. Your hopefulness for the future will slowly dwindle. And then you will watch the news. And they just talked about it on The Daily Show last night, but there's... One of the best examples to me of what's wrong with the world as a whole is what is happening on the borders of Europe with the Syrian refugees. These are people who are running away from what we have described as the worst evil on the planet in ISIS. And we don't want to help them. And that, to me, is disgusting. And it makes me very sad. And it makes me wonder about what's going to happen when we need help. Or you personally need help. Because this thing that goes on is, well, not me. Like, why should we have welfare? Why should we get rid of welfare? Well, because people game the system. And you go, yes, but what if you need welfare? Well, I will never need welfare. You go, do you know that for certain? Yes, I do. But you don't. No one knows these things for certain. But they all speak from a position of certainty that I find offensive. And I find it unempathetic towards other people. Because every time I pass a homeless person on the street, I don't know about you, AJ, but I've been fired from a few jobs in my life and honestly wondered, like, I'm lucky. I got my parents who've always helped me out. But the truth is, there were times in my life where I honestly did not know where my next meal was going to come from. And that was like one night every month. You know what I'm saying? Like, you've gone through that, too. I know you have. Most people in college do. But that... But I experienced it outside of college. I experienced it when I was a little bit older. And honestly, going home at the end of the night and not knowing, like, it's like my choices are I can make plain boiled pasta in a, in a thing, which as a fat man is like the worst thing that I can eat. Or, uh, you know, you, you can go to McDonald's for $3. And that happens to people every single day in America. And nobody seems to give a shit. And... The people who haven't tasted desperate or just don't remember when they did it, it's the same thing as the people who now, so like you have people who came to this country in their lifetimes, became U.S. citizens, and then are voting for Donald Trump because we need to stop these immigrants from coming to this country. Right. You know, it, 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 all of that has destroyed the Star Trek of my heart, basically, the, the, the hopefulness for the future. And... As we keep doing this show, I think every week that we do this, I, I, I and Trump continues to go, and these people come out and say these horrible, stupid things about respected people because they disagree with them, it is so disheartening. And I want to tell you a story, AJ, that happened to me yesterday, and we'll, I, I want to end the show on this discussion. Do you mind if we go a little longer? Sure. Okay. So my friend... Dave posted a video to my Facebook wall yesterday, just randomly. It was a video of Tom of Tom Brokaw from MAC News. I'm Tom Brokaw. And it's basically like Tom... He doesn't sound like that. He sounds like that. I am Tom Brokaw, and I am here to do the news on MAC. Thank you for MAC Nightly News. I'm Tom Brokaw. It's just that he can't say a K. That's all it is. He, he can't pronounce the letter K in his own name. It's just it's very frustrating to me as a broadcaster. But I love Tom Brokaw. I loved him as a journalist. He's one of the best newsmen of our generation. Would you agree? Yes. Okay. Respected man, nice man. He posted a video to NBC. Uh, it was on NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. And basically he used, um, do you remember Fox News in Chicago used to have Walter Jacobson do these op-ed pieces at the end of the night? 
Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Okay, so it's the same thing. They basically, at the end of NBC News, they had Tom Brokaw come on and talk about Donald Trump. And what Brokaw said was, we need to be afraid of this. Because I am old enough to remember what it was like when we started to, and I'm paraphrasing his video, but he basically said, I, I'm old enough to remember what it was like in World War II when we started to intern the Japanese, one of America's most shameful and regrettable behaviors in a time of just fear across the world. We reacted in fear and we locked up the Japanese, including Mr. Sulu George Takei, by the way, for those who don't know that. He broke out kind of goes off and he's like we can't elect trump we can't do this okay dave posted it to my wall and i had sent him an article earlier in the day and all i said to him was i'll read yours if i'll watch yours if you read the article i sent you he's like okay yeah fine with that's, that's funny i'm like all right about an hour goes by and this pops up i'm not gonna say the guy's name because i don't want to embarrass him but this is what he said to a video posted by tom brokaw Complete horse manure. Trump is the first outsider in history to speak against trade deals that bankrupt our economy, against the Federal Reserve System, which is a money printing machine that gives us inflation, against the corrupt political system. In return, the establishment has twisted his words to make him appear dangerous. That's because they know that he is dangerous, but only to them. He said check immigrants before letting them in, and they called him a racist. He pointed out radical Islamism, and they called him a racist. The establishment is afraid, and they are trying to make you afraid. Wake the f up really yeah um and i'll say this so basically i i call I, i'm only going through this because it's it, i hate doing this with the facebook thing but i have a microphone this guy doesn't so i'm gonna have a little bit more fun with it he i, I basically was like you're implying that tom brokaw is bought and paid for and he was tom brokaw is bought and paid for just because he sounds like your grandpa it doesn't mean that his network is not owned by big corporate conglomerates who don't want trump to interfere with their crimes so i'm saying that he is a treasonous piece of filth that deserves to go to prison for lying to the American public that deserves real freedom. How's that? So you're saying Tom Brokaw is bought and paid for. That's what he is saying. He is saying, and I asked him, I like, and it, it breaks down, but I literally was like, so let me get this straight. Your, your plan is, you, you believe that at some point in the day, somebody came down from the corporate offices and handed him a script and a stack of money and went, here, Tom, Go read this on the air to stop Donald Trump. Ignoring the fact that Trump is going to be more beneficial for any corporate and conglomerate, to ignore the fact that Donald Trump is a media creation, to ignore the fact that MSNBC, Fox, and the local news have done nothing but cover the man and give him, what did they say the last estimate was, $3.5 billion in free advertising for his campaign? Something like that, yeah. Something like that? Like, that's the last one. It's been 2.5, then it went up to 3 after the last few months. All of this... This is the this is the where the political discussion is in America right now. We are at a place where a respected news journalist with a career spanning 50 years to the point where he has spoken to leaders of the Soviet Union, to Saddam Hussein, to uh didn't he interview um Gaddafi at one point very famously? Yeah. You know, this is a man who has arguably the most decorated career in journalism, even more than Cronkite, because Cronkite didn't do field pieces. And you are saying, and this happens all the time now, that the left is so bought and paid for by these medias that they are trying to shut down the right, where you look at it and go, that, that the logic of that doesn't make sense. And we look at the budget issue in Illinois, and it's almost the same thing, where 
the people on the right go, well, it needs to be a business. And the people on the left go, it's not a business. It's a government. It's there to help people. And there's no room for middle ground, and we shut everything down. And I know that we've gone a little bit longer than we normally do, so I just want to ask you this, AJ. As you look forward in the next five years, next five years, do you think Illinois can pull itself out of this, or do you think we're going to just kind of stay where we are? What do you, Honestly, what do you think? Are you hopeful? Five years. Basically when you and I will theoretically get married and start having children. Do you think that our kids at the ages of three or four will be able to go to public school and not have it be a destroyed educational system? Do you think that the pension fund will be bolstered? Do you think we'll fix our problems in five years? No, not in five years. Yeah, neither do I. And that's a, that's a sad thing. And, and, and if people want to believe in said system, it's, it's the same thing I've always been saying. Then, then don't vote Republican or Democrat. Yeah. And I'm not saying a green or socialist is like the magic bullet of all things. But there has to be more perspectives than just the two that we're getting. You know, and honestly, not someone who's been an attorney or been in corporate Illinois, so forth and so forth. Um, We we just really need to change the the campaign finance finance that we have in the state of Illinois. We really need to have different perspectives when it comes to the budget and other issues because the the two parties that have been running state of Illinois have kind of ran the state in the ground and we've had more governors in jail because of shady things that it's kind of an embarrassment half the time you know um, we really need to have a real united Illinois that is really about how can a budget really fix Chicago, Ladd, Illinois, uh, Anna, Illinois, Galita, Illinois. How can a budget that can speak to a number of things, you know, because we, we have to face it, Illinois is a majority, of, a majority rural area. And it's not just the compressed area of the collard counties in chicago it's all rural he's not saying by the way folks he's saying collar counties not collard counties your 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 downstate accent is is upsetting to me because it makes it seem like you're saying collard greens which i want to end the show on a funny note so finish what you're saying and then i'm going to tell you a funny story about last night okay and so i mean that's where that's where we're at in illinois and with all the health with all the human services that were cut it devastated up and down the state outside of the collared counties in Chicago. Um, we have an agricultural problem. We have an education problem. We have all these problems up and down the downstate Illinois that this budget is, is affecting everybody. And if everybody out here in Illinois is being affected. It's really hurting people in Chicago. It's like I've said before at the old radio station, I don't understand 
why they're putting a big plant in the Goose Island area in the name of technology in Chicago, and that could be in DeKalb, Illinois, or, oh, I don't know, in Rockford, Illinois. You know, why does it have to be in Chicago? Why do all the good things have to be in Chicago? Why can't they be elsewhere? Oh, that's right. It's called tax credits. It's called tax breaks. And Chicago and Rahm Emanuel can do that kind of thing, as well as Mike Madigan and what have you. This is the very problem I've been talking about. You have people who are, are in politics and are also in corporate Illinois who will do their bidding to get the kind of things that need to get done. Meanwhile, I'm seeing towns around me out this way. Yeah, I want to figure out that can they can they still live in their town or did they move to Winfield, Illinois? Yeah. Or is it best to cross the mighty Mississippi and move into Iowa where they have a better place to live and they can get a better education over there and everything? Can they even like you know get support from a state that they need? This is the problem that we're facing in Illinois. Let me ask you this. You live downstate, and I live in a really metropolitan area, and I think that even myself, by the way, are, is very guilty of associating social problems and everything to the inner city. But it's, it's very easy if you grow up around here to not understand that, believe it or not, government subsidies, government welfare, and all of that actually plays a much larger role in rural America than it does in the inner city, than it does in the city as a whole. And I'm curious, with the budget issues that they've had, with the welfare issues that we've had, with the pension issues that we've had, in your the last few years since you've been back down south, or out west actually, have you noticed a lack of economic power in the area, people spending less money, people doing less industry than they used to when you were a kid? Well, that's because those, those industries left. Right. Those industries left because of tax breaks. We had... A steel mill in my town that every year they threaten to either move to Kentucky or Texas because of better tax breaks and everything. And then that steel mill had to file for Chapter 7 um, back in 2001. No, 2, I believe. Okay. Um, so, we, so there's that. Um, and then, you know, in my area, they think having a Walmart, a Menards, uh, various fast food places, um, other big box stores is the solution. And it's clearly and, not. And it, it, you, go, you can go from Clinton, Iowa, which is 30 minutes to almost an hour away from me, and head east to Sterling and Rock Falls and Dixon, where there's more Walmarts. Then you can go a little bit further east to Rochelle, and there's a Walmart. You can go up north to Rockford or Freeport, Illinois, and there's a Walmart. Even Rockford, Illinois has Walmart. So my point is you have in an hour radius, hour diameter around here, are nothing but Walmarts. And they've been doing nothing but sucking the economic life out of this part of northwest Illinois. We have a supermax prison in Thompson, Illinois, that the state of Illinois couldn't bear the burden anymore economically, so they sold it back to the federal government, and now that's a federal supermax prison. 
I'll just be glad that it's not privately owned. Otherwise, they'd be uh, making new laws to make sure that everyone they pull over can go to jail so they can profit off of it. Right. Um. So, so I mean, this is, so this is the problems that we're facing and everything. And a lot of people, especially in Chicago, don't understand that and vice versa, but more so in Chicago, that that person who gets to go to a restaurant or gets to buy something, they only get to do those things because of all of us. Because we are paying a lot of money to the state of Illinois for those other businesses in Chicago to be there. Yeah, it's so a symbiotic it's, relationship. So it's not, it's not the Magnificent Mile where you go to Burberry or the ice, the Apple Store and everything. The only reason why you have those uh, things two there is I've because Illinois from. has been paying the state in order for other people to have better accessibility. Until people come around to the idea that they're going to need to pay more in taxes, uh, especially on the upper levels, and that businesses are going to have to start paying taxes as a necessity, um, the situation. Well, this is a. I know this is a. This top. What I'm going to say is <clears throat> a show in itself. But if we just view taxes as an investment than a burden, then I think people will pay more taxes than thinking that you have to pay taxes because that's just. An economic burden. Yeah. Everyone wants everyone else to pay more taxes, but they don't want to pay more taxes themselves. Right. All right. Well, here's the funny story before we end, because you mentioned the collar counties and the collar counties of Chicago, and I just want to end on something a little bit funnier. So last night I was hanging out with my friend Laura, and we were flipping through the channels, and Space Jam was on. The 1996 uh, Michael Jordan spectacular film, which, by the way, we watched the entire thing, because that movie is a lot better than you remember it. You only remember it as a kid. As an adult, it's actually even better. Not to mention the fact that Bill Murray is in that movie a lot. Like, he's really big in that film. But here is the funny part of the story, and I, it relates to what you said only in uh, sound quality. Sound quality? With the, no. Uh, in rhyming, basically. Is that Michael Jordan comes home, and there's a really moment in that movie where I don't know if it's racist or not, and I wanted to get your opinion. Michael Jordan comes home from playing golf, okay, with Wayne with uh, Wayne Knight to his house. By the way, that's just like on a block. It's like house, house, house. Michael Jordan's house, like it's just like in a neighborhood because that's where Michael Jordan lives. And he walks inside, and his mom is there with his wife. And he goes, "Ooh, something smells good." And she goes, "Yep, making making chicken." And he goes, "Oh yeah, chicken and what?" And she goes, "Chicken and collard greens." And I kind of went. I'm pretty sure that that's like a racist-ass scene in Space Jam. Is that a racist scene, or does Michael Jordan really like chicken and collard greens? What do you think? I, I, I don't know the man. I don't know what his uh, dietary needs are. Well, considering how ripped he was in that movie, I doubt he was eating fried chicken. Um, um, one could view that as racist if it was like, you know, if the writing staff was like all white and telling the narrative of this is how Michael Jordan's life was, you know? Um, but I would imagine since Michael Jordan was in on it... Uh, that, that he actually eats chicken and collard greens? He actually, he actually like, controlled the narrative of, um, I know what my life is. I like chicken. I like collard greens. Um, and then knowing him, he probably, he probably challenged the woman playing the actress to see who could make better chicken. 
and then lost and then wouldn't let her leave until he made better chicken than her. Well, that's the thing. Or, you know, like I said, I don't know if he does eat chicken, you know. Oh, he does now. Well, I was saying, I mean, <laughs> we know he it eats. It could be one of those funny things, like, it was a joke for himself, like, oh, everyone knows I don't eat, you know, good southern comfort food and everything, so this is just like my little shits and giggles, and all y'all just think I just eat this all day, every day. <laughs> all right, AJ, we're going to do a show next week. Uh, are you, what do you got planned for the fourth? Anything special for you? No, nah, just going to hang out with friends and... Uh, the uh, the carnival's in town, so I may go over to the carnival and uh, get a job with my bear. Yeah, well, I figured that you'd just you know become a rodeo clown or something. All right, man. Well, I about that once. Did you? What's that? Yeah. What stopped you? The fact that you'd be a rodeo clown? No, the stop. The, the fact that I would have to be around bulls. Everybody get up! It's time to jam now, cause AJ gonna be a bull now. Sorry. I, I enjoyed watching Space Jam. I was say, where are we going with this? We're just going with, I enjoyed the movie and I wanted to end on a thing that make people giggle before they turn off. So they come back because the first one's always free, AJ. Is are you going to this... watch Tarzan? No, I'm not going to watch Tarzan. I'm going to watch Tarzan. You are? I am. Okay. I saw, I saw the sequel. I saw Independence Day 2. Are you there? I'm not going to watch that just yet. It was good. I bet it was. it was. I want to see Tarzan first. You want to see? Listen, it's the Fourth of July. It's the, yeah, yeah. So, do I have I ever told you what happens at my house on the fourth? No. So I will. Uh, the third, I always go with my friend because AJ, if you'll allow me, on the third, I tend to have a tradition now, ten years running, where I go with a series of friends to a country club to enjoy dinner and drinks and a firework display that is put out over the private golf course. That is the third. Um, and then on, on Monday, I low-class the crap out of it. I head back over to Bensonville. I go there. I make ribs, chicken, brats, dogs, and I sit there and I grill all day. And then at the Bensonville Park, a block from my house, they set off what is a firework display of Disney quality. And I make a lot of ribs. I make a lot of chicken. I make all this food. But the most important thing to me on the 4th of July, AJ, is that from the minute I arrive home after the party the night before to the minute my barbecue ends, there is one thing on the television screen all day. Only one. And that, is the, that is the movie Independence Day. Oh. It is on from 9 a.m. till midnight all day on repeat. Is it really? Yes. And it's I get back up, to back to back to back. I get upset with people if they try to turn it off. Like I've yelled at people. They're like, no, 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 no. This is what we do. We watch this movie. There's other movies, you know, like Yeah, everyone was like, Why don't we watch 4th, Saving Fourth of July? Yeah, or Saving Private Ryan or any of these. And somebody one year was like Red Dawn. I gotta tell you, that was the Malcolm hardest Max. one to turn down. Which one? Malcolm X. Malcolm X is not a 4th of July movie. It is in my household. Well, that's because you're a well-known member of the black Muslim movement. And you've changed your name from Cassius Clay to Cassius X and then to Muhammad Ali. If I'm going to call him Clay, I'm going to call him Clay. Anyone? No one? No one? No one? No. Bueller? No? Okay. All right, man. Uh, Say goodbye to the people. 
Bye, people. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Nick Sarandos and AJ Zagnari on Out Front here on the Chicago Podcast Network. You can find us on Facebook, Chicago Podcast Network. You can find us on Twitter, Chi-Town Podcast One. And you can email us on Gmail, Chicago Podcast Network at gmail.com. Let us know what you think, that you love us, if you hate us, if you're going to hunt AJ down and wear his skin for a hat, which is what our relationship will eventually end in. Other than that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. We out! 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. You have been listening to the Chicago Podcast Network.